Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Hey, when you walked in, you should have gotten a bulletin. If you didn't get one, you can raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. We want to, those that are watching online, we know we got quite a few people out with the flu and the cold. Wanted to stay home, amen? But uh, see them next Sunday, right? Yeah. All right. Hey, I want to thank you guys. Last Sunday, I wanted to be here. I was looking forward to being here. Um, I'm looking so forward to having that conversation with Melissa. And uh, on Saturday, uh, Pastor took me for a run, and uh, I was cold. It was cold. We went out running like at 6 in the morning, and it was really cold, and I always wear a vest and gloves, and I was wearing, I was still cold. And I remember I told him a couple of times, hey, dude, I'm freezing, you know? I went home, I showered, um, I watched the Mexico game, and after the Mexico game, and I know you're going to think it was the Mexico game, but it was not. During the Mexico game, my body started to hurt, you know? And I was like, oh, no, I hope I'm coming down with something. So I went home, and on my way home, I picked up Theraflu, I picked up cough drops, I picked up a bunch of medicine. I said, I'm just going to stay home, let my body rest. Great the next Sunday, because we, we have a great interview. And I woke up at four in the morning as sick as a dog, you know? And I wanted to be here, believe me. I, 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 I wanted to be here, but I, I said, no, I don't want to get other people sick, but uh, I'm grateful for the job Melissa did and also the rest of the team. Prayers. As some of you guys know, I was with my dad out in Ciudad Juarez for a couple of days. Um, he had his uh, interview, and uh, this coming Monday, he gets his final answer. So we are trusting and praying that uh, Monday will be a good news day. And he said, and he said, Monday, when they give me the good news, he says, I'm flying out back to Ensenada that day, and you can come pick me up on Thursday so I could be at church on Sunday. So God will be here with us. Desired. Amen. Um, everybody got their bulletin. If you would open it up inside, you're going to find an outline by a show of hands. How many of you guys have your Christmas decorations up already? How many, there we go. There we go. We have them up. We have our outside ones because my kids say that they're going to wait for Toto to come back so that they can do them together. So done the inside, not the outside. We're waiting for my dad to come back. Today... Today marks the start of our Christmas series here at Dayspring. Christmas at Dayspring. We want to actually kick off the Christmas series here. And here's the biggest thing you got to know, okay? For the, here's the biggest thing you got to know. It's acting up. You sure it's not just my voice? There we go. Ooh. All right. So here's the biggest thing you got to know about Christmas this year. You ready? Christmas, Christmas Day lands on what? A Sunday. Well, guess what? We're not canceling church because we're going to be here. Amen? I mean, come on. Think how ironic would it be 
that Christmas Day, the birth of our Savior would land on a Sunday and that we would cancel church because, oh, I can't just wake up that early. Let me tell you, if we did that, we might as well close the church and leave our faith. But we're not that kind of people, amen? We're going to celebrate Christmas together. And listen, it's not the first time it's happened. It's happened before, right? We're going to say, we, as Hispanics, most of us celebrate the 24th. So you can still stay up till midnight, open up your gifts, whatever it is. But just put your alarm. Put your alarm, wake up, come worship the Lord, right? Because it is his birthday. And then after, we're going to have a great time. And then you can go back and finish your celebration. Amen? How many of you guys are going to be here for Christmas Day? All right, I'm looking forward to that. We uh, have a special program that we are preparing. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have a toy drive for all the kids. And uh, I believe that it's going to be one of our best Christmas even yet. I don't know if you remember last Christmas. It was pretty great. This Christmas is going to be just as great. Amen? So we start the Christmas season, and we are starting a new series today called Come Adore Him. And let me tell you why we're starting this series. If I were to ask you, what would you say is the most proper response to Christmas? What would you say? If somebody asked you, hey, what is the most proper response? What is the, what is, what is the right way? What is the natural reaction to Christmas? Would you say joy or maybe peace or maybe being generous or maybe excitement, right? Because those are some of the things that we see in the Christmas story. Well, I happen to believe that the greatest and most proper response to Christmas at Christmas time to the Christmas story is not peace, it's not joy, it's not generosity, it's not excitement, but worship. That worship is not just the ultimate purpose of our lives, but it is the ultimate response to the Christmas story. When you read the Christmas story, the Christmas story is filled with characters who one way or another worshiped the newborn king. So what I want to do this Christmas as we buy gifts and as we wrap presents and as we go to Christmas parties, I, I don't want us to stop enjoying that. But in the midst of all that, I would love for us not to miss the greatest purpose of Christmas, which is to worship the newborn king. The other day, Nathan and I were driving to Costco, our favorite store, and uh, he, he was talking about Christmas and he said to me, Daddy, I love Christmas. And I said, really, Nathan, why do you love Christmas? You know, and my wife and I, we try to use as much every moment that we can to disciple our kids. You know, we, we try to get them to understand why we celebrate certain things. So I saw this as an opportunity to remind him why Christmas is important. And I say, hey, Nathan, so, so why do you like Christmas so much? And he said, because of the gifts, dad. And I said, really, the gifts? And I go, are you going to give gifts? He's like, yeah, I'm going to buy everybody gifts. And we were at Costco, and he's like, I'm buying Kaylee that for Christmas, and I'm buying Mommy that for Christmas. And I tell him, dude, you got no money. You're not buying anything, you know? <laughs> but as we were talking, I said, do you know why we give gifts, Nathan? And he said, no, Dad. I go, because Christmas is Jesus' birthday. Christmas is the day we celebrate the birth of Jesus. 
Now, on birthdays, you give the birthday boy a present. Now, what could we give Jesus? Simple. Our worship. The present that most fills the heart of Jesus is when we worship him. And that's what we see of almost every character in the Christmas story. Let me show you a few of them. The wise men, not only did they go on a journey, not only did they embark on this long journey to find the newborn king, but look at what they wanted to do once they found the newborn king. Look in your outlines at Matthew 2 2. It says, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to what? Worship him. The whole host of angels appeared to the shepherds. And as those angels appeared to the shepherds, it says that the angels were praising God. But after the shepherds went and they found baby Jesus, look at what Luke tells us in Luke 2.20 about the shepherds. Look at what it says. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angels had what? Told them. Worship is the natural reaction to the Christmas story. Consider Mary's response. As she began to process and accept the wonderful news that she had received of what God would do through her. Look how she begins her, her, her great speech in Luke 146. She says, <coughs> Mary responded, oh, my soul praises the Lord. You see, to adore Jesus, to worship him is the greatest response to Christmas. Because when Jesus became one of us to save all of us, the natural reaction, the natural response of, to that should be to worship and lift his name on high. In Philippians chapter 2, it's a passage that you're very well know, that, that you may be very familiar with. And in this passage, Paul is talking about the attitude of Christ. And he's encouraging, encouraging us to have the same attitude that Christ had. And, and Paul takes this, this, this truth of Jesus leaving his throne, leaving his heaven, leaving glory to come into our world and to take the form of a slave, to take the form of a servant and to die a criminal's death. And, and, and it's just this beautiful passage. And I want, to, I want you to read with me how Paul ends that idea, how Paul ends that concept. And he says, you know, Jesus, he, he humbled himself and he took on the form of a human being. But look at what the outcome of, of Jesus' incarnation is. And in Philippians 2, 9 and 11, look at what he says. He says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of what? Highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall what? Shall bow. That's an act of worship in heaven and on earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here's, here's what Paul is telling us. Eventually, Everybody will glorify God. Some will do it willingly and some will do it forcely. Those that do it willingly are, are because they've come to know the goodness of him. And that is what we get to do now. 
But the greatest response, the one thing we cannot miss on Christmas is that we are to worship him, that we are invited to adore him, that we are invited to bow before him. Now, before, before you start thinking, well, pastor, I can't sing like Susie can, or I can't sing like Diana can. Well, uh, don't worry, because worship is much more than a song. In fact, what we see in the story of Christmas is that the worship that was presented to Jesus was not in song. Very few of it was. Some of it was in obedience. Some of it was in gifts. Some of it was in trusting. Some of it was in accepting that there's different ways in which we worship the newborn king. And over the next four few weeks, we're going to look at four characters. We're going to look at four of the Christmas characters, and we're going to look from them how we can worship Jesus at Christmas time. And I want to begin today by looking at the first character. And that first character is John the Baptist. And from John, we're going to learn that the way we glorify God, that the way we bring praises to God is by pointing people to God. How many of you guys say amen with me? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll jump into John's story. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, because you are God and you're alive, Lord. And this is not just a religious gathering. Lord, you are as real as anything around us or near us, Lord. So, Father, I pray that regardless of how we may feel, that, Lord, uh, that your presence would be in this place and that you would move with power and might, Lord. Speak to us. Transform our heart. We don't just want to be motivated. We don't just want to be convince we want to be transformed and only your word and your spirit can do that lord we pray this in jesus name amen amen if you have your bulletin you can use that inside there's an outline that you can use it to follow along with me now the first character of christmas is john but john the baptist may not feel like a christmas character right because after all, when was the last time you heard a Christmas song about John the Baptist? When was the last time you saw a Christmas decoration about John the Baptist? You definitely don't see John the Baptist in the, in the manger or in any Christmas paintings. But the truth of the matter is that the reason we start our Christmas characters with John the Baptist because John the Baptist began the Christmas story. It was, it was John's birth that kicked off the Christmas story. It was John's mother, Elizabeth, who was related to Mary, Jesus' mother, who first heard the news from an angel that she would conceive a boy and that this boy was to be special, that this boy was also, was also going to be used by God. And listen, John's birth not only preceded Jesus' birth, but John's ministry also preceded Jesus' ministry. And the reason we start with John it's not only because his birth began the Christmas story, but we also start with John because John's purpose is what started the Christmas story. John was sent to prepare the way for the newborn king. It was John's life purpose 
to be able to be a person that would make a way so that Jesus could fulfill his role as the king and the savior of the world. Look at what Mark 1, verses 2 and 3 say on your outline. It says, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. I like how John the, uh, the Apostle writes it in his gospel, how he describes John the Baptist. And look at what John says in his gospel about John the Baptist. It says, God sent the man, John the Baptist, just in case there's any confusion, to tell about the light so that everyone might what? Believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is, who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The purpose of that first Christmas, the greatest benefit of Christmas is for people to come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and their personal Savior. Let me say that again because only Irma got it. The purpose of Christmas is not the trees. It's not for you to get a week off. It's not for you to spend money that you don't have on people that you don't even like. The purpose of Christmas is not to, to cheer you up. The greatest purpose, the greatest benefit of Christmas is for people to come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Let me tell you. The trees, the decorations, the gifts, the cookies, the Christmas parties, without Jesus, they're nothing. They're empty. And as Christians, one of our deepest longings should be to see more people come to Jesus every time. As Christians, one of the things that we should long for the most is to see our loved ones, to see our friends, to see our neighbors come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, I, I, I know, I know I'm with you. We've all had negative experiences as we've tried to share Jesus with others. I'm sure that if I pass the microphone around and we could all share a negative experience of a time when we try to share Jesus with somebody else. I remember as an 18-year-old uh, Young man, uh, you know, I was coming into my calling and I was embracing the fact that God had called me to be a pastor. And uh, my mother-in-law, she, she does not waste one single opportunity to evangelize. She's gotten pulled over by cops and shared the gospel with them. She does not miss any opportunity. So she, she used to do this thing where after church, she would go out on Broadway Street in East L.A., and she would go and just share Jesus with, with people as they were walking by. And in one occasion, I decided to go with her. I wanted to get serious about Jesus. And if I was going to be a pastor, I had to be able to tell others about Jesus, right? So I went with her in this one occasion. And uh, there was a gentleman who was standing by a tree, minding his own business. And I approached him and I said, hey, do you got a minute? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. 
I got to tell you the truth. I was not ready for him to say yes. I thought that when I told him, you got a minute so I could tell you about Jesus, he was going to say no, and I was going to have to gotta find somebody else, and I was going to get a bunch of no's, but he said yes. He said, sure. I got so caught off that I started stuttering, and I forgot everything. You know what he said to me? He said, young man, get your story right, and then come share it with me. That hurt. And maybe you've had one where you've been rejected. Maybe you've had one where you've been mocked when you've tried to share Jesus. But as I tell people, one bad haircut doesn't keep you from getting more bad haircuts, right? So one bad experience or two bad experiences sharing Jesus shouldn't keep us from sharing Jesus. I always like to remind us, how long did it take for us to come to Jesus? Some of you, you got, you got family members that begged you for years to come to church. You got family members that prayed for you for years and week after week and month after month, they were sharing Jesus with you. And eventually what happened? You came to Jesus. So this Christmas, one of the best ways we can worship Jesus is to do what John did and point people to Jesus. God chose John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus. And I want you to know that God has chosen you to prepare the way so that those around you can come to Jesus. And what I want to do today, what I want to do today is I just want to talk about three things to help you point people to Jesus. I don't know who you have in mind, or maybe you don't have anybody in mind, but I want you to know that God does have people in mind. And I want to share three things to, to just kind of get you in the right mindset, to, to kind of give you the right motivation, to kind of set you in the right path so that this Christmas somebody can be at church because you pointed them to Jesus. Here's a question that I always like to ask myself, and I think every Christian ought to ask themselves. Will anybody be in heaven because of you? Now, we know that we go to heaven not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. So what I mean, will anybody be in heaven because of you? I'm talking because you pointed them, because you introduced them, because you led them to Jesus. Will anybody be in heaven because of you? I hope that we can answer yes. There will be plenty of people in heaven because of me. Amen? So, to point people to Christ, number one, you ready for this? You can fill this out in your outline. To point people to Christ, number one, the first thing we do is that we got to start with the problem of sin. If you want to be effective at pointing people to Christ, you have to start with the problem of sin. One of the mistakes that, is, that, the, that the church has done is that we've made evangelism, we've made Christ about a better life. We've said, come to Christ and he's going to give you a better life. Now, that is not, not true, but that is not the main reason we need to come to Christ. 
right? We don't come to Christ so that we can have a better house and so that we could never get sick and so that our kids could never rebel. No, 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 no. The number one reason we needed a savior for Christmas was because we had a problem and that problem was sin. See, the number one reason there needs to be worship in our hearts, the number one reason we need to walk every day with Jesus, the number one reason we ought to do what we ought to do is because there is gratitude and understanding in our hearts that we have been forgiven of our sin and there was nothing we could have done with it. See, many times today we hear people say, uh, if you were to go and tell a non-Christian, hey, Jesus loves you. They won't deny that Jesus loved them. They say, oh yeah, I know Jesus loves me. I'm a good person. Of course he needs to love me. But the question is, why does Jesus love us? Why is it that we can say that Jesus loves us? Because we behave well? Because we haven't murdered anybody? Because we don't cheat on our spouses? Why? Why is it that Jesus loves us? Well, the answer is that Jesus loves us because we are sinners and he willingly died for us so that we could be forgiven. Unless, unless we are mindful that the number one reason people need Jesus is because they have a sin problem, we will not be propelled to lead people to Jesus. Now, now, I, I want you to hear me well. This doesn't mean that we have the liberty to go out and start pointing out people's sin. Okay, this does not give you the right to, 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 to be mean, to be, to be cruel, to, to be insensitive. But this was John's calling. In fact, John was known for this. Look at what Luke 3.3 3 says. It says, Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God for what? For forgiveness. Now, if I came to you and said, Hey, the mayor just forgave your sentence that would probably mean nothing to you. Because you would say, well, I'm not guilty of anything, so he's got nothing to forgive me of. But if you knew that you had been condemned to life in prison, and then I came and I said, hey, I want you to know that the mayor just forgave your sentence. Now, now, there would be an understanding, but there would also be an enormous sense of gratitude for what has been forgiven on your behalf. And see, if we think that Jesus is about giving us a better life here, we're not going to have an urgency to tell others about Jesus. Let me tell you, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And that is what Jesus Christ came to do that first Christmas. He didn't come to be an economist. He didn't come to be a doctor. He didn't come to be a psychologist. He didn't come to be anything else. The number one thing he came to be was to be the savior of the world and to redeem us of our sin. So we need to start with the sin problem in our mind and understanding that the reason the world needs a savior is because of the sin problem and there's nothing we can do. But we also need to be able to help people understand that they have a sin problem. Now, pastor, how do we do that? How do we help people see 
the sin problem that they have. Well, I'll tell you how not to. Don't be mean. Don't be rude. And I know some of you guys say, well, this is just the way I am. No. The Holy Spirit can change you. Amen? So how can we help people see their sin problem? Simple. Did you know? It's really simple. Through God's word, written and preached. Look at what Romans 6.20 says. It says, the law shows us how sinful we are. When we get into it's when we are convicted of our sin. When we tell people about God's word, it's when we are convicted of how wrong we are. When we encounter God, when we encounter his holiness, is when we can see our sinfulness. So one of the ways that you make people aware of their sin is by leading them to the word of God, by sharing the word of God with them, and letting the Holy Spirit use God's word to bring conviction into their heart. Because unless somebody feels convicted of their sin, they will have no need for a savior. So if we're going to point people to Jesus this Christmas, the first thing we got we to gotta do is we got to start with the problem of sin. But the second thing we got to do, if we want to point people to Jesus, is we got to get past our limitations. We got to get past our limitations. You know, the truth of the matter is that we all have reasons, right? We have reasons why we don't share the gospel with others. Some are things that, um, that limit us, right, from pointing people to Jesus. And some, some, some kind of um, costume themselves, some kind of dress themselves in positive things, and some of them uh, come in, in the form of negative things. Let, let, let me tell you what I mean. Some of you say, well, I can't share Jesus because I'm the manager at the store. Well, I can't share Jesus because of the position or the status or the place that I have. And these good things our limitations that, 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 that we feel that we have that keep us from sharing Jesus. But we also have those negative limitations that, that in our lives that, that we allow to keep us from sharing Jesus. And we say, well, I'm divorced. How, how, how do I share Jesus with others? I'm an ex-addict. How do, how, how do I share? I, I struggle with depression. I, I have an anger issue. And, 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 and the list goes on and on and on. And there's always things that can keep us from sharing Jesus with other people. Can I tell you something? Can we be honest? A lot of these are self-imposed limitations. Because here's one thing that I know as I, as I read the Bible. God doesn't hide the flaws, mistakes, and limitations of people. He exposes them and he uses them in spite of them. And, and I don't know what yours are. Maybe, well, I'm just not good at talking or I can't memorize verses or I'm just not a friendly person. Self-imposed limitations. And if we're going to point people to Jesus, we're going to have to get past our limitations. We're going to have to get past, well, I'm just shy or I, I don't like being rejected. We got to get past them. I think if somebody, if somebody could have had an excuse not to share Jesus, it would have been John. 
but he didn't. In fact, his life purpose was to point people to Jesus. Let, let, let's look a little bit about John. Look, look, at, look at how he's described in the Gospels. Look at the kind of person he was. In Mark 1.6, look at what we read. He, he says, his clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. Talk about a weird person. I mean, what would you do if I showed up here dressed in camel hair? And as we walked outside, we had a talento of locusts with honey. You'd be like, I don't know what kind of funny thing this guy's into, but he's not the kind of guy I want to follow. That's what John was known for. But in spite, listen to me, in spite of his quote-unquote weirdness, God used them to point people to Jesus. Can I tell you something? Your limitations are the doors that sometimes God uses to lead others to Jesus. Because there's things that, are, that you're into that are going to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody else. You know, for Pastor Appreciation Day, <coughs> Pastor Manolo made fun of the fact that I play Pokemon on my phone. You know, and um, I, I, my wife knows about it, and, um, and I tell her, well, I think it's a pretty safe addiction, right? I go, would you rather me play that or play those dumb casino games that some of y'all play and you waste money on them? But anyways... I'm not going to try to explain the game to you, but, but what I will tell you is that the game is about connecting people. And I've connected with people, and I use those opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus. You know? And there's things, there's things that you think make you weird that are the things that God can use to connect somebody to bring them to Jesus. That's why we got to get past our limitations. Say, well, I'm too short or I'm not educated enough. No, they're self-imposed limitations that God can use in spite to point people to Jesus. So what are your limitations? Well, I'm just a baby Christian. So what? We were all baby Christians at one time. And in fact, it's sharing Jesus with others that helps us to grow into mature Christians. So to point others to Jesus, number one, we need to, to start with the problem of sin. Second, we got to get past our limitations. And third, here's a big one. If you want to point people to Jesus, use your wilderness. Use your wilderness. And I'll explain in just a minute what I mean by that. To point people to Jesus, use your wilderness. Look at what Luke 180 says. It says, John grew up and became strong in spirit. Did, 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 let, let me read that again, okay? If you got a pencil, I want you to, to, to underline uh, the, a phrase that I'm about to tell you. But look at what it says. John grew up and became strong in spirit. I want you to circle. I want you to underline the words grew up and strong in spirit. John grew up and became strong in spirit. 
How many of you guys want to grow up? How many of you guys want to become stronger? How many of you guys want to go from glory to glory? How many of you guys want to keep elevating? How many of you guys want to keep advancing into the promises that God has for us? I think we all do, right? Now, now, look at how John did it. Or better said, look at how God did it in John's life. Look at the next part. He says, and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. John was not only a weird guy, but he lived in a very uncommon, unlikely place. The wilderness, the desert. Now, in the Bible, the wilderness or the desert has a very negative connotation. It is a place of suffering. It is a place of loneliness. It is a place of hardship. It is a place where things don't go well. It is a place of need. It is a place, it is a place where, where, where you hurt. But listen... For those of us that are in Christ, the wilderness is not a place that destroys us, but the wilderness becomes a place where we can grow up and become stronger in spirit. Because that's exactly what happened with John. It was in the desert where he learned to trust God. It was in the desert where he learned to focus on God. It was on the desert where he learned to love God. It was in the desert where he memorized God's word. And it was in the desert where he was able to become the kind of man that then he could go out and point other people to Jesus. See, most of us, we got a wilderness too. And maybe it's not a desert where we're eating locusts with honey. Maybe our wilderness, maybe our desert is loneliness or maybe an illness or maybe a broken relationship or maybe a financial hardship or, or a desperate crisis. But we all have our wilderness. I was talking with somebody not so long ago and we were talking about just the difficult hardship that, they, that they're going through, you know, just, just tremendously hard. And this person said to me, they, they, said, they said, Nestor, it's because you don't know what it's like to go through what I'm going. And I said, you're absolutely right. I do not. I go, but I've had my own wilderness. I've had my shared of deserts and hardships. And just because it may not be specifically like yours doesn't mean I haven't had them. And I know that every single one of us can come up here and talk about the wildernesses that we've had to endure. But see, these wilderness, they're not to be hidden. They're not to be ashamed of because our wilderness become our testimony. And let me tell you something, when it comes to pointing to Jesus, no one can argue with your testimony. No one can argue with, listen, I was broken, miserable, and lost. Suddenly I started going to church and I started getting close to God. And I, and I began to change and my hope began to change and my relationships began to change. People can't argue with that. You want me to tell you something? Strengths impress people. Weaknesses connect people. And when we use our wilderness to point people to Jesus, people will come to Jesus. I don't know if you knew this, 
But in my dad's family, all of my uncles were drunks and womanizers. All of them, including my dad. The earliest memory I have of my dad is as a three-year-old, I opened the door because somebody was knocking. And when I opened it, he fell face first to the floor. And that night, my mom had had enough. She kicked him out and they called it quits. On his way out, about halfway up the street, somebody spoke to him about Jesus and he accepted the Lord. They came back home, shared the gospel with my mom. She accepted Jesus. They gave their life to Jesus and the rest is history. God can use your wilderness to point people to Jesus. The pain that you're going through, others are going through it. And God can use it for his glory. God can use it to bring praise. So this Christmas, I don't know if I can see a bulletin, Manolo. This year, yes, these. This year, we are going to give you every Sunday in your bulletin, we're going to give you two flyers because we want you to point people to Jesus. And I know, I know, Christmas lands on a Sunday. You may be like, well, you know, non-Christians are not going to want to come to church on Christmas Day. You don't know that. You don't know that. And if, and if you don't think the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to do that, then you don't know the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we're going to put two of these in your bulletin. And I want to invite you to use them. When you're at the gas station pumping gas, just give it to the next person. When you're at the grocery store in line, give it to the person in front of you, behind you. Your coworkers, invite them. If at work, there's a bulletin board, put a couple of these. I go, I, there, there's a Chinese food place that I love to go eat to. And in that special location, they let you put flyers. I always put a bunch of them in there. I don't know if some of you guys also go there and you see them. But this Christmas, one of the best is by pointing people to Jesus. We want to give you a resource to do that. If you want more of these, we got plenty of these. We'll give them to you. Let me finish with this story and then we'll have Pastor, uh, we'll have Josh do the announcements. Most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with the Titanic, right? The tragic story of the Titanic. This supposedly unsinkable ship hit an iceberg on its voyage that killed 1,517 people in the water. What you may not know is that if not all, most of the people that died in the Titanic could have been saved. The tragedy of the Titanic could have been avoided. Another ship the California, out of all the names, had passed within sight of the Titanic and had made radio contact with the Titanic at 11 p.m. At 11.30, the captain of the California ship went to bed at 11.30 p.m. Ten minutes later, the Titanic would hit the iceberg and begin the tragedy of 1,500 people going to their watery grave. 
the people in the Titanic sent out a flare. And the one guy on the California ship who was up because everybody else was sleeping saw the flare. But he didn't want to wake the captain up. So he did nothing. The next day, he heard the news that the Titanic had indeed sunk and over 1,500 people had died and perished. Now, we hear stories like that and we say, how could that be? Well, without putting guilt in your heart, but more of a sense of urgency, aren't we any different if flares are being thrown up and we see these flares in the condition of our society, in the condition of our families, in the condition of our friends, and we do nothing because, after all, we don't want to offend anybody with Jesus. Let me tell you something. May we not be the California ship. And may we point people to Jesus so that heaven may be filled and hell may be empty. Would you bow your head with me? We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love, in Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.